Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 12. If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneurs across Africa. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for tuning into the show once again. I just want to continue to remind you guys that this is the final week of our book giveaway for the launch of the show. We're giving away two books. The Obstacle is the Way to Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph by Ryan Holiday and Choose Yourself by James Altucher. So this is the final week on October 31st. I'll close the giveaway for the books and I'll announce the winners in the next podcast. And I'll also send out an email so that everyone knows who, who the winners are. So the only way for you to enter into the giveaway is to leave a review on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And also enter your name on our email list on our website at www.odeshi.com. I also want to thank all our listeners for helping us to stay on top of the charts in iTunes. We're still the number one business podcast in iTunes, Nigeria. And it's been a pleasure um, rocking that list. We're kind of like the only indigenous podcast up there right now with other American podcasts. But we also want to cross over to, you know, the Ghanaian iTunes list, uh, Egyptian iTunes list, South African iTunes list, Kenyan iTunes list. So please continue to listen to the show, share it, um, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, and every other social media channel. We've been getting a lot of love from all our listeners, and we just want to continue to bring you awesome content from awesome entrepreneurs going forward. So if you have any questions or comments about anything you've heard on any one of the shows, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is on the website as chi at odeshi.com, or just leave a comment in any of the comment section of the prior podcast. So recently I got some emails and offers to do some interesting projects across Africa, and I'll be sharing more details about these com- upcoming projects in the near future, so stay tuned and look out for what they are. I think they're going to be very, very beneficial to a lot of you out there that are looking to start your business or that are working on your businesses currently and need some help with growth or gaining traction or increasing customer acquisition. So stay tuned for those projects. I'll let you know in the coming um, podcasts. Now let's dive right in into the show with Kola Masha. Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Kola Masha. He's the managing director of Dorio Partners, an impact investment firm that leverages agricultural venture capital to drive youth and youth employment. Kola started his professional career at GE and has worked with Abiomed and Notoro Chemicals. He's the fa- he's the founder of Dorio Partners. Currently, he holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and a master's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT. So Kala has gone through business, technology, and in his teenage years, he was a host of a TV show in Nigeria. So he's a true Renaissance man, he's an, and he's come on the show to talk to us about investing in agriculture. Kala, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, I think you, uh, you, you're very gracious with your, uh, with your intro. Really, what, what we're focused on uh, right now is uh, we, you know, we recognize that the problems facing uh, Nigeria and really most of uh, the continent uh, are too large for, uh, for government or traditional nonprofits 
to be able to tackle alone. Uh, so we believe firmly that the private sector needs to take a more active role in that, and really that's, uh, that's what we see our role being, uh, particularly as we, we try to address the issue of youth unemployment, which I think, as you and your listeners know, is, uh, is a very, very serious challenge. Uh, you know, we, in, you know, take Nigeria, for example. You know, we've got a population of 160, 170 million people. Half that population is under the age of 19. We have 18 million people in Nigeria alone under the age of 19. Those 18 million people will be coming into the workforce in the next 20 years, all looking for jobs. So we have to create the equivalent of uh, the population of Germany in terms of jobs in the next 20 years in Nigeria. So it's uh, it's it's a major challenge. Um, you know, as an organization, we've we've uh, committed ourselves to create about 10 million jobs through our investments by 2030, uh, and uh, you know we're on our path. We're on the path towards that. Okay, great. So why did you get into investing in agriculture? Because you came back from... Talk to us a little bit about your journey from the United States back to Nigeria before we get into Dorian. Sure. Itself. Um, well, um, so I'd, uh, my, my, career, uh, my career outside Nigeria had uh, primarily been in the healthcare space. Uh, it was an area that I uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I found it intellectually challenging and at the same time... Uh, uh, an area where you felt that uh, you know you woke up in the morning and knew you were doing something bigger than yourself. Uh, when I made the decision to move back to Nigeria in 2007, uh, primarily uh, for personal reasons, my uh, my my parents uh, uh, at the time were here in Nigeria. All my siblings and I were outside, and and, uh, and my mother's health was not the best. So I uh, made a personal decision that probably best if I moved back to Nigeria so I could be closer to them and, and help support. Uh, them and, and help her get her get get back on her feet, and so um, so when I was looking at opportunities in Nigeria, um, I knew I wanted to find an opportunity that uh, that gave me that same feeling of impact that I got from the healthcare space uh, in, uh, in in my prior career, and um, I found that in the agriculture space. I think it was one of those areas where uh, there was tremendous opportunity uh, in terms of. Uh, of, of growth as well as um, you know, you, you know, you knew that you were the work that you were doing was uh, was having impact on, on tens of thousands, uh, potentially millions of people. So you came back to Nigeria and then you interviewed and you got the job with Notore. Well, actually, um, uh, I was fortunate enough uh, through uh, through relationships that I had uh, actually you know, all the way back to high school. Um, I was able, a good friend of mine, uh, was in, you know, my Reached out to him, and he mentioned and to see if he knew any good people looking for good people. Uh, and through that process, um, he got a couple of opportunities. Uh, the notorious opportunity was was, was uh, one of those, and I chose to take the notorious opportunity because it really was for me personally was really uh, fit exactly what I was looking for. On one hand, uh, professionally, I realized that this at this juncture in my life, I was uh, I I was most excited about opportunities that were at the intersection of what I do well and what I enjoyed doing, uh, which was building early stage businesses. Okay. And then coupled with the fact that it was an opportunity in the agriculture space where the, where the uh, promoters of the business were really focused on trying to leverage the, the business uh, and agricultural green revolution, not just in Nigeria, but across the continent. Uh, it it uh, really was an opportunity that I, that I, I couldn't 
turned out. So you work with Notori Chemicals for a couple of years. Um, I see here on your bio that you helped them raise a bit of funding for one of their projects. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, well, I think my time at Notori uh, was, you know, was, you know, was a wonderful experience. I think the team there learned a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount uh, from the team at Notori. Um, got the opportunity to really work across multiple groups within the organization. Um, so my first first role uh, when I moved back was really to help them develop and uh, and their their commercial strategy. So uh, you know, came back, spent the first six months uh, traveling extensively uh, across Nigeria through the rural areas to, to to get a better sense of the agriculture sector, and then from that, um, you know, helped outline the commercial strategy and uh, and worked with the team to build and execute that. Um, so um, I think we, uh, as an organization, we were able to build across from uh, you know building out a. A strong distribution channel for our fertilizer business, building out a strategy and eventually uh, the team launching uh, launching in the seed business to launching one of Nigeria's uh, first and largest private sector agricultural extension operations, as well as uh, developing a strategy and raising uh, twenty five million dollars for food business, uh, which at the time I was uh, I was managing director of uh, one of their subsidiaries, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then the Activity I did on the fundraising side was, was more towards the the end of my uh, time in Ontario, which was closer to which was uh, about three years, uh, where the you know the financial crisis eventually caught up with Nigeria, and because the debt markets were were pretty much closed from mid two thousand and nine through two thousand and ten, uh, uh, they asked me to uh, to lead the corporate finance team where we drove uh, a private placement, which we eventually closed in mid twenty ten. Uh, and raised about uh, about 135 million dollars in new equity for the business. So you do all that, and then you decide to take a break from Notori. Or how did you transition into founding Dorio Partners? Well, I think it was uh, it was a culmination of, uh, of a journey that I've been on for many years. Okay. I think coming up uh, when I when I graduated from uh, from MIT with my master's in mechanical engineering, I had to make a decision on uh, if I wanted to, you know. Follow uh, the path I was on, which was you know engineering, product development, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, or uh, follow a path um, in, in the business world. And I realized, you know, despite my love of the intellectual stimulation of engineering, my heart was uh, enjoyed more the people react, uh, the the relationships with individuals. And so I decided to take a path more down the business route. And uh, you know, my goal was to go out and learn from the best people I could, all the different. Pieces of running a business, uh, from product development, uh, operations, manufacturing, commercial side, finance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, through the organizations and leaders I had the opportunity to work with, um, you know, over a span of, uh, of about almost about ten years, um, I, I felt I was ready to uh, to go out and and do it uh, do it on my own. Okay, so. I also see here in my research that you either raised $40 million to start this venture or you're currently ongoing raising $40 million. Is that correct? Well, it's actually we, our approach has evolved. Um, okay. We actually now uh, focus on raising capital on a deal-by-deal basis versus a fund strategy. Okay. Uh, what we've, uh, we launched, we started incubating 
uh, our current flagship investment, Babangona, uh, back in 2010. Um, and when we launched that in, uh, we officially launched that in about 20, uh, towards the end of 2011, uh, went into our first farming season in 2012. And now we're, we're basically in our third farming season with that. And, uh, and grown quite significantly. I think the last 24 months we've grown the business about, uh, about 30 fold. Wait, did I hear you correctly? You've grown the business 30-fold since you started a couple of years ago? Correct. Wow. Okay, let's dive deeper into that. Um, you changed your strategy from a fund strategy to deal-by-deal deal strategy. So does that mean per investment you have to keep raising funds? Exactly. Okay. That would be a more, uh, more effective strategy. Okay. But um, the typical private equity model, you see investors putting in capital for a horizon of about three to five years. And I think because of the idiosyncratic nature of agriculture, wouldn't that um, require a longer horizon of five to seven years or maybe seven to ten years? How do investors get their return after investing in Dorio? Sure. I think the, the key thing is... Um, you're right in the sense that agriculture is uh, a longer term, uh, more patient investment. Uh, it's a scale business. It's one of the reasons why we're focusing very aggressively on scaling uh, the model that we have. Um, the reality is that uh, you know each each business that we are we're incubating, which right now, as I mentioned, we're focusing exclusively on the Babangona business to, mm -hmm. to and off the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I think you have to recognize our model is slightly different. Um, you know. You know, we're, we are very early stage uh, investors. We basically uh, think about strategies and ideas that have the best potential to, for job creation and build businesses that are highly scalable and profitable to attract uh, private sector capital um, that will grow and scale those businesses rapidly and in turn create the millions of jobs that we need. Um, so the businesses that we're, we're scaling are, like most traditional businesses, there'll be exit opportunities down the line, whether it's from strategics, management buyouts, uh, potential IPOs, etc., etc. Okay. So let's talk about Babangona Farms. Um, I did a little bit of research on your strategy and your model, and you took a franchising model and applied it to agriculture, similar to what people say... Um, McDonald's does for restaurants and then applying it to a sector that is not quite known for such a model or such innovative tactics. How did that come about? Well, it, it really came about from our, our desire to, you know, we, we realized that if we were going to leverage private sector investments to create jobs, uh, we had to have a very focused strategy. Mm -hmm. And so our strategy was uh, very simply um, to um, to uh, invest in businesses, profitable, scalable businesses, that in turn would increase the profitability of small-scale agriculture. So we had to under so we spent, uh, spent about two years really trying to understand why smallholder farmers are poor, oh. and um, and how we could play a role to, uh, sustainably to uh, to to fix that. And um, you know, we quickly understood that the reason why smallholder farmers are poor are due to their low economies of scale. Pretty much any business that, mm -hmm. that struggles with economies of scale struggles to attain the requisite level of profitability to reinvest and grow their business. Um, the reality is most uh, most smallholder most farmers all over the world struggle with this, 
and have been able to attain higher economies of scale through uh, development of strong farmer protein. So we did ex really extensive research on this um, and, uh, and developed a model we call an agricultural franchise where we franchise grassroots level farmer groups and uh, provide these farmer groups in a traditional franchisee franchise or relationship the, the products and services they need uh, to be successful uh, farmer groups and in turn successful farmers. Uh, and that's a model that we've, uh, we've, uh, we've developed and executed with Babangona. So agriculture with the smallholder farmers in particular um, suffers from low agricultural productivity. A small farmer can only do so much with whatever hectare of land he has, maybe one hectare of land or less than that. So how does um, Dorio through Babangona help magnify the impact the smallholder farmer has? Well, I think the, at the core of, uh, you, you've, you've hit the, the nail on the head, the core of the product challenge we face in the agriculture sector in Nigeria and really across uh, the continent is low levels of productivity. Um, the, the truth of the matter is it's not so much about whether small farmers are productive versus large farmers. Both, okay. both models can be equally uh, uh, competitive and productive, as, as can be seen by, you know, if you look at, uh, at the model of agriculture, where it's small farmers on, uh, you know, five hectares, less than five hectares worth of, worth of land, highly productive, uh, and being able to compete with the more traditional uh, models of agriculture that we're familiar with, the Western model, large farmers, big tractors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the, the key is how do we get these small farmers productive? And uh, we've spent a significant amount of time really trying to, working with, you know, brilliant experts uh, in the space, uh, from uh, IITA to leading plant pathologists and, and, uh, and agronomists across the region, to develop a model of agricultural production that enables smallholder farmers to attain yields at upwards of five times uh, the national average. You know, the national average for maize in Nigeria is about 1.4 tons per hectare. Yeah. Our best performing farmers are getting up to 6.9 tons per hectare. Uh, producing maize uh, right here in Nigeria. Okay, that's interesting. So, could you walk us through the services you would offer a smallholder farmer, for example, through Babangona? Sure. Services basically fall into four buckets. Uh, it begins with uh, with training. Training is a very critical piece to, to, to not only um, get the organization working effectively, uh, but then also helping these farmers migrate from a subsistence mindset to a commercial mindset and really start thinking of their farms as businesses. Okay. Uh, so obviously training on how to become better farmers. Uh, the second service we deliver is credit, um, so financial services. Uh, the reality is that uh, at the end of the day, one of the key things that is inhibiting the growth of smallholder farmers uh, in Nigeria and across the region is lack of access to credit. Uh, credits is, um, and without that, they can't access the working capital to be uh, to be a, to buy the products that they need to get the, the high levels of yield, etc. That they have. Um, this third service that we deliver are inputs, and um, that's really delivered through a holistic set of uh, inputs. Everything from you know, uh, you know the highest quality seeds, um, you know. Uh, and other inputs uh, to to uh, 
uh, farm analysis to really help the farmers really understand what their what specific inputs they need to optimize their yields are, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, we uh, we have a marketing platform where the uh, where the farmers are able to uh, to market their their products directly to large buyers, and in turn be able to uh, to get uh, get high get you know better pricing for their for their uh, for their hard work. Okay, so does Dorio actually take hold of the yields and sell them on behalf of the farmers, or it's through an exchange? Uh, we physically uh, we physically uh, market the products. Okay, okay, that's interesting. And how has the government policies in terms of agriculture industrialization affected the way Dorio is operating in this space? Because typically. The government has had a lot of challenges trying to scale up agriculture. I know they've talked about it a lot, but the economy is so heavily dependent on oil that it seems from the outside that not a lot gets done in the agriculture space. Well, I think the the reality is, you know, the, the government is making um, you know um, real efforts, uh, particularly over the last few years, to um, to to try to get the, the sector on the right path. Um, you know, the reality is many of these, many of the initiatives that the government is, has set in motion, some of the impact may not be felt uh, for a few years because there are more underlying structural issues such as, you know, trying to uh, really, for example, regulating the, uh, the seed industry and, and enabling private sector companies to, to really uh, Get into the seed company, seed seed sector, uh, more likely uh, enabling innovation to occur within the sector. Uh, but these are these are uh, these are changes that the impact of which will, will take you know, be seen. Um, so the, the reality is, efforts are being made. Um, we see our role really as uh, being a, a partner. Uh, where the truth of the matter is that if you look at you know if you look at the economy. Uh, it's really is the private sector that, that has access to the quantity of capital um, and expertise to really execute uh, and, and create change. Uh, the government's uh, key role uh, is really more of an enabler of this change. Okay. So, in addition to the government enabling the environment for agriculture to succeed, um, what are some of the challenges? outside of what we typically know in agriculture that are still difficult to overcome? Well, I think, I think to be the, the key thing that, uh, if there's one thing that, uh, that, that if the government could focus its efforts on, uh, that would have tremendous, tremendous effort on, on, on driving the, the, the growth of the agriculture sector, it's really around rural road uh, development. Market access. Well, no, it's it's roads, physical okay, roads, physical roads, infrastructure. Okay. Nothing too complicated. Just build roads. Um, if you if you look at uh, the impact that having a good road has on a on a community, it's massive. Mm. Uh, having a good road means that they can get they can get agricultural inputs there cheaper, more available uh, uh, at the right time that they need it. When they're marketing their products, it's easy to move. Products in and out of those communities, and they, they have more of a better advantage uh, and and and, call, and, uh, and, uh, and be more competitive 
Um, and really, you know, the truth of the matter is, is road infrastructure is, is such a large upfront investment that it's just, it's, it's really something that, that, that is in the purview of government to do. Um, you know, the, the reality is many, many initiatives can be somewhat complicated to execute. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think we've been building roads since the Romans. Uh, so we, uh, if we can, if, if, uh, if, I personally would think that if the government would just take a few years and channel a significant portion of its of its uh, of its spend into these types of infrastructure investments, the payoff would be massive down the line. Okay, that's great. So your focus is on trying to create 10 million jobs in the next couple of years. That's by 2030. Well, 2030. 2030, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So how are you going about? encouraging young people to get into agriculture because the typical um, view of agriculture is that you know it's a, a business where you don't get rich you know you have to work very hard I think people still see agriculture as something that you still use a hoe and a cutlass and you're in the sun all day so how are you helping to you know make agriculture more appealing to the youth in terms of when, job creation, uh, well, I think that the, the in addition to the the, the, the issues you highlighted, you know, the core issue of reason why uh, youth very rationally are are buying are, are veering away from agriculture uh, is because the, they've seen their father, they've seen their mother, they've seen their grandfather, they've seen their grandmother practice agriculture, uh, you know, and they've seen them stuck in this cycle of poverty. Uh, and uh, and the reality is the you know they they've been stuck in the cycle of poverty due to the low levels of technology that they've had access to due to the fact that they don't have access to uh, to the credit required to purchase the quantity of inputs they need um, and um, and they um, and then in turn um, you know when it's time to harvest those those products, they, they aren't able to get an appropriate price for it. So this has really kept these uh, farmers in the cycle of poverty. Now, something that really is, makes it even worse for you is the fact that um, youth, you know, typically because of the way land is uh, split up from generation to generation, uh, tend to even have less land than their father or their grandfather had. Uh, in addition, uh, those same youth... Uh, do not have access to a to a uh, to a, effectively a free labor force in their older children uh, that uh, that older farmers typically have. So they they have to go out and hire labor, and so then that drives up their costs and makes them even less competitive. And finally, because they have this small amount of land and they have the same uh, with, uh, low levels of productivity, they, um, the income they can get on this small amount of land really doesn't justify the efforts, and it's, it's probably. They're unable to actually even live on that. Now, the way that we're solving this challenge is, you know, first and foremost, is productivity enhancements. So if we're able to take a, a young person that maybe has half a hectare of land that he inherited from his father, mother, so on and so forth, um, and double that individual's productivity on that land, it's equivalent to if you just double the amount of land that the person had. Um, and we're often actually more than doubling that yield. We're able to take, as I mentioned, 
on top of performing farmers, they're able to get yields as high as 6.9 tons. So that's five times higher than the average yield. Now, when you layer on top of that the other benefits that we that we bring, such as uh, providing access to mechanization and, and other uh, other uh, services, we help to solve the, the labor challenge that young farmers have and turn them uh, more from uh, you know what people envision as uh, farmers toiling in the field to really actually farm managers. Uh, uh, managing a, a series of products and service deliveries to their farm, and then, um, and then finally, you know, at the end of the harvest, when they're able to, you know, get a much higher yield now uh, through our marketing platform, we're able to get them even better pricing than what they could achieve themselves, uh, further enhancing their income and product, productivity and profitability. So uh, all these things come together to provide young people uh, a truly uh, viable alternative. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why in, in the communities that we've seen, anecdotally, we're, we're hearing stories about young people that are actually, you know, you know you've seen reverse migration uh, from the urban areas to the to back home uh, to their rural communities because now they can actually, you know, make a living uh, and, uh, and, and have a, uh, a good livelihood. Because uh, at the end of the day, you know, home is always home. Yeah. People would rather be there. The reason that most people leave their home is to seek for better economic opportunities. So we're, we're focused on providing those good economic, economic opportunities at home. Okay. So your main focus would be to help them achieve at least economic independence back home to enhancing their productivity on their farms. Now, in the long term, is that going to be sustainable because you the way I'm looking at it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you will have um, a whole bunch of small holder farmers where maybe somebody owns like a half a hectare of land, etc. And then you'd have maybe some other people with more than one hectare to massive hectare. Are you foreseeing um, consolidation? No, I'm not really... And visioning consolidation. I think the reality is um, it, it all comes down to how much money can somebody make on the Okay. So you know the you know if an if an average farmer is able to have uh, is able to have you know one hectare of land. Mm-hmm. That one hectare of land, if they're able to get yields that are close to four or five tons per hectare. No, we're not even talking about the, the, the absolute best yields that we're seeing. Just four or five tons per hectare. This person is is, is getting a net income. Uh, over about one thousand five hundred dollars per hectare. Uh, one thousand five hundred dollars, um, you know, is a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, by the world bank standards, you know, you're making over a thousand dollars per a thousand dollars a year. Uh, you're you're moving from from poverty into the into really the lower middle class. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's really the, the the opportunity that we're providing. Okay. Okay, that's great. So. What's the role of financial sponsors like PE firms and banks in agricultural projects? Because my understanding is that commercial lending has typically been very low for agriculture in Nigeria, somewhere around less than 5%. Well, I think what you're finding nowadays is you're seeing more and more progressive banks coming into the sector. You know, we work very closely with First City Monument Bank, FCMB. Okay. And you know, they they're really have been uh, one of the leaders in the sector. Uh, thinking about how to how to uh, to appropriately serve uh, the individuals at the bottom of the pyramid uh, appropriately as they look, as they grow. Um, so um, 
so I, I think you're 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 gonna you're starting to see uh, some some innovators within the sector um, really look uh, within the financial sector look critically at the agriculture sector and, and try to figure out how best they can um, support the sector well and ensuring that they're able to to make appropriate margins and so on and so forth. That's interesting. And in terms of capturing higher yields for the farmers, for example, are you looking at value-added services, like processing raw crops into higher-value products? Take, for example, soy into soy milk, etc. Are you looking into that part of the value chain also? Uh, you know, quite frankly, we're focused on the you know, on trying to solve the really underlying problem, which is uh, farm level productivity. Okay. And and we believe also that's the area where the, the jobs are. Um, so if we're able to focus on that, and you know, we let our customers uh, who, who buy our products focus on the value addition side. Yeah. All right. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Uh, we've talked a lot about the industry itself and entrepreneurship. So could you please tell us um, some of the compelling reasons why you as an entrepreneur would advise someone to go into agriculture entrepreneurship, especially the youth, because those are the people we're talking to today? Well, I think at the end of the day, let's ask ourselves, you know, what is Nigeria's competitive advantage right now? Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that our key competitive advantage is the, the, the natural resources that we have, um, which, you know, besides oil and some of the other uh, resources, really comes down to land. Um, so we're blessed with uh, a tremendous uh, amount of arable land, over 80 million hectares, which, you know, uh, every young person from pretty much any village anywhere in the country at this stage can access something. The second piece is, unlike many countries that, have, that are reliant on irrigation and other really high-cost uh, aspects of agriculture, uh, right across Nigeria we get you know, pretty much uh, 1,000, 1,200 millimeters of rain. In addition, we've got, uh, we've got three of the eight major river systems in Africa, uh, not to mention tremendous groundwater resources as well. Um, and then, you know, in reality, we've also got uh, ample... Uh, you know, agriculture is labor intensive, and we've got an ample supply of labor. By twenty, by I believe by twenty twenty-five, Nigeria will have somewhere around one hundred twenty million people under the age of twenty, or under the age of thirty in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final piece is that every agricultural economy that has become a major player in the agriculture sector has been able to do that off the back of a large internal market. Those internal markets uh, are able to help build up the required economies of scale to make that uh, agriculture sector very competitive. You know, let's look at Brazil, let's look at the United States, etc., etc. And that's also what Nigeria has. So uh, Nigeria is practically positioned uh, to uh, become uh, really one of the leading agricultural powerhouses uh, globally uh, over the next few years. Um, I think the reality is uh, uh, that I think as a as a nation, we're recognizing the now the 
importance of getting the agriculture sector working, getting the agriculture sector right, uh, to play a critical role to solve our job creation uh, challenges as a nation. And that will really you know, set the foundation to enable us to have a really uh, strong, uh, high growth industry uh, in the near future. So now let's talk about you personally. Tell us what were some of the challenges and frustrations you faced when launching your entrepreneurial venture? Well, I think the, the challenges that we face uh, are probably no different from many other entrepreneurs. They really fall into two buckets. You know, you've got, uh, you've got the, being able to raise the requisite amount of capital to, to do what you need to do, and uh, as well as access to the appropriate um, Team to support you. Um, you know, we you know in most of most emerging markets, you know, we have challenges around human capital uh, due to the fact that you know, the educational sector may not have invested as much as it should have uh, in these individuals. Um, so you know, you 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 um, you have to get creative uh, to overcome these challenges. And I think for us, uh, we invest very heavily uh, in the uh, in the development of our team. Uh, we also have a very rigorous uh, in recruiting process, so we, we look for people not so much about the skills they have, but their potential to learn, and uh, then we invest in their ability to learn. Um, and then on the on the capital side, it's really it's, there's no other way around it than, than making sure that you have you, you've done your homework, you've got a very clear plan, uh, you manage expectations, and uh, you ensure that you execute the plan and build confidence in your in the folks that will provide you the required capital to grow. And now, Carla, let's take a quick minute to thank our friends before we get on with the rest of the show. Are you interested in increasing sales and driving higher profitability for your company? Do you want to reach over 50 million buyers and potential customers? Then head over to Conga Marketplace at conga.com. Conga.com is Nigeria's largest e-commerce marketplace that provides millions of customers the ability to access a wide variety of products at very attractive prices. Showcase your goods and services and watch your business explode. Go to conga.com, that's K-O-N-G-A dot com, and sign up to be a seller on Nigeria's largest marketplace. Looking to make secure and hassle-free transactions online? Want to take control of all your bills and be the master of your universe? Just Paga it. Paga is Nigeria's premier e-payment solution that makes it extremely easy to conclude transactions online. Whether it's paying your bills or online shopping, Paga has got you covered. Just Paga it. Go to mypaga.com, that's M-Y-P-A-G-A.com for more details. Your cash, anytime, anywhere, Paga. Could you tell us about a key lesson you've learned in your years of doing business in the U.S. as well as in Africa? Yeah, I've, I've learned. Um, I learned a long time ago that uh-huh. when you are in business, uh, the most important thing is to plan effectively. Okay. So, um, so for us, um, the reality is we we extensive amounts of time, uh, you know, thinking about things and planning things out. Uh, as best we can, so we can we can uh, we can expect the unexpected. Um, and the reality, if if at the end of the day we don't uh, accomplish our goal at the end of the day, I you know uh, the reality is you know, you, 
can't really call that a failure. Yeah. Um, if you if you literally uh, put everything you feel in place to uh, to accomplish that goal. Okay. Okay. So another thing I I think in my the course of my research was that I listened to a talk you gave and you were talking about the importance of choosing a partner, and you mentioned that. It's important to have a mentor and it's important to have a strong partner and that you found your wife to be both a mentor and a good partner. So could you please talk to us about the importance of choosing both the right business partner as well as the right life partner? Uh, well, I think fundamentally uh, picking the right life partner is hands down probably the most important decision you're ever going to make. Um, so, you know, it was actually having dinner with one of my colleagues uh, last night and we were talking on this on the same topic and what I find always is young men always tend to have this uh, have this plan and this schedule and say okay by this date I must be married um, and what what happens is that tends to put you under unnecessary and undue pressure mm-hmm. and, and I think it's more important that you take your time and, uh, and find somebody that truly is compatible with you um, and uh, and uh, together, you will help her achieve her goals, and she, in turn, will help you achieve your goals. Um, I think that's that's really the, uh, the critical thing you want to look for. Um, now, in terms of uh, in terms of business partner, I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that that, uh, that both of those are rolled into the same person, um, and so it's been uh, it's, yeah, it's always important to have somebody that is uh, you know rational patient and really more importantly challenges you uh, to think about your decisions that you're making uh, in, in more depth um, but at the same time once you agree on a, on a, on a course of action as a team is there to support you uh, through the ups and downs of executing that plan okay that's, that's great so um, as we start to wind down the interview Looking back on your career thus far, if you had to go back and do it again, what's the? If you had to time travel, let's say, and talk to yourself before you started, maybe ten years ago or so, what's the one piece of advice you'd whisper to your ear before you started your entrepreneurship? Um, I would say that the I think many entrepreneurs tend to probably have this challenge very early in their in their in their journey, uh, where they tend to often rely too heavily on experts versus their own uh, their, their own intuition and uh, and and uh, and, uh, and initial ideas. Um, I think for me, probably that was that was one of the things. Uh, a few, if you think about a few setbacks I might have had early as an entrepreneur, okay. it was. Relied, you know, you, you relied too heavily on this individual that you thought was, you know, a, a great expert, or so on and so forth on, on one topic or another, and you may have let them uh, own something and drive uh, drive things without as much oversight as you probably should provide. Um, the reality is, you know, in the early days of a business as an entrepreneur, um, you really need to make sure that you are fully engaged in in, in almost every decision. And, and, and all activities. Okay. 
And now, I'd like to focus that attention to things that have helped you develop as an entrepreneur. So are there any useful resources, books, uh, messages that you found inspirational to you at the beginning of or throughout your entrepreneurial journey? Not, well, the reality is, you know, I, I think not so much books or resources or so on and so forth. I think um, people who have a desire to be an entrepreneur, uh-huh. um, I really believe there's, they're, they're, you know, if you're, well, there's two types of entrepreneurial businesses. There's entrepreneurial businesses that are probably more tech heavy and less people intensive. Uh-huh. And there are entrepreneurial businesses that are probably more operational and people intensive. Um, you know, so what you find is the, the, the businesses that are really more about a product or a technology that, that you don't have to have a large team and build an organization and so on and so forth. Um, those things, once you build up that special, that expertise in that particular area, I think you know, as an entrepreneur, you can be very successful. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to build an entrepreneurial business that is operationally intensive, uh, that requires you to have appropriate leadership skills to guide and, and grow a large organization, um, I think there's no substitute to uh, ensuring that you um, you you want you do what you can do early in your career to work for people and organizations that uh, that you aspire to be and uh, and to learn from those people and those organizations because um, uh, there's, there's truly is no substitute for actually uh, you know going through that type of learning opportunity. Um, that's what. That was the path that I took, um, and, uh, and I think, uh, I think hands down, that's that's probably what's prepared me the most. Okay. So, could you name just a few of those key skills that you would advise young entrepreneurs to develop? Uh, really, the, the the most important one is uh, is a first and most important one is an exceptional work ethic. Okay. Uh, work in an organization that is challenging you, uh, where, you know, in a week you might have to stay up 24 hours, a couple days a week to get the project done. And, you know, once you do that a few times and you, it just becomes habit and then you, uh, and then you really are able to push yourself to, to, um, to, uh, accomplish more than what you probably ever thought you were capable of. Um, the second one that is to be able to learn from individuals that truly are uh, great leaders, uh, people that uh, that are able to inspire other people to accomplish uh, accomplish once again more than what they thought they, they could. And, and you know, every once in a while, it's also good to uh, you don't want to spend too much time there, but also uh, work for somebody that might not be such a great leader, so you actually understand what not to do. Okay, uh, uh, those lessons are actually uh, equally as important as okay. well. Um, and um, and so, if I had to break it down to two key things, it's um, it's uh, work ethic and leadership. Work ethic and leadership, great. So, I mentioned earlier that you used to be a host of a TV show in your teen years. This was many, many, many years ago. I'm sure not many people remember this. <laughs> But I remember because my cousin had a big crush on you when we were in Port Harcourt. And she always used to talk, Color Marshall, this Color Marshall. I was like, Yeah, that's the guy that was in the Quake Club. Like, ah. So, 
could you tell us a little bit about the lessons you learned while you were a media personality in your youth? Um, well, I think... Um, I hope I'm not embarrassing you. Are you, are you trying to keep that? <laughs> are you trying to keep that? A little no, no, secret. No. <laughs> I, think, um, I, think, I think most importantly, probably from, from, that, from that activity, it, it, it provided me a tremendous amount of exposure to learn uh, about uh, new areas and new things that I probably would not have had an opportunity to. I remember, you know, I think uh, my record was interviewing 23 people in one day. Wow. Um, from the, any of those transactions, from any of those interactions, you, you definitely are able to learn learn multiple things. So that probably helped broaden my horizon significantly. Okay. Um, it uh, eliminated, you know, there's nothing more terrifying than live television. So, um, you know, after you do that for a few years, really very few things scare you. Um, and, uh, and then I think it's also important that, uh, that you know, when you, when, you know, uh, when you have the opportunity to do that early in your, in, in, in your life, um, especially if you have the right support, ne- uh, support network around you, it ensures that you, that, uh, that uh, you are able to um, to have the right perspective uh, on life as well. So, I, uh, would there be any media activities for Color Marshall in the future? Well, anyway, uh, the future is a wonderful place. It's always hard to say. <laughs> That's great. Uh, maybe, maybe I can, maybe I can have a, a farming talk show. That would be awesome. And so, the last question for the show is this. Um, if you were to advise recent grads just coming out of university or maybe a couple of years out of university, just starting their um, journey, as it were, what's the one biggest thing you'd tell them to watch out for to do? Um, it's, that's actually very simple. It's to focus on what you can learn versus what you can earn early in your career. Okay. You know, I, I made several decisions early in my career where, I've, you know, where I gave up opportunities that could uh, provide me much, uh, uh, much higher salary or so on and so forth to go for opportunities that would develop me and grow me personally. Um, and uh, I think reality, you know, when you're early in your career, uh, knowledge is, is much more valuable. That's great. So, as you've just heard Carlos say, say, focus on what you can learn as opposed to what you can earn. The money will always come later, but it's great to have those fundamentals done and learned early in your career so that you can use them, use them and build them as you grow. And then when you reach out the pinnacle of your career, you can see the financial rewards. So, Kala, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you, learning about your experience, your ad- adventures in agriculture, you know, talking about media and all the advice you've given us. Is there any final thing you'd like to say before we sign off? Well, I think, um, I think I just want to encourage everyone uh, to, uh, to recognize that uh, I think it, it we all have a responsibility to help you know our country, Nigeria, as well as the continent, uh, solve this challenge that we're facing. Uh, 
Um, if you look at the issues of youth unemployment uh, in this country, it's uh, it's a massive challenge, and it requires all of us to play an active role to help solve. Um, the truth of the matter is that you know many of the challenges we're facing from a security standpoint in this country stem from just our spiraling levels of youth unemployment that are currently you know, sitting over 60%. Um, so um, I'd encourage everyone to actively think about what they do and think about if they are, if they, uh, if by the actions they've, 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 done, they've taken today, whether they've helped create a job or not. For me, that's especially important because I actually started this show as a result of um, the you know, recruitment crisis that happened maybe sometime early in the year, middle of the year, where one of the government agencies was recruiting for a handful of jobs, and you find several million people turned up in stadiums and whatnot to do those things. And it turned out to be a big fiasco, lots of people losing their lives, getting injured. So I was like, wow, it's... If this many people are just coming out to apply for just a handful of jobs, that means um, it's going to deteriorate to a point where there's no hope, and that's going to lead to increasing violent crime, increasing all kinds of issues. You know, um, that's where we got the Niger Delta crisis, Boko Haram. All those things are coming from disenfranchised people that don't see a future and have decided. You know what? If I'm not going to see anything positive out of this, I might as well go the negative route and get something for myself. So that's what inspired me to at least do my own little bit to encourage people that you know what? There are people out there that are starting their own ventures, doing interesting things in interesting niches, and that if you want to model one of these people, you know, you hear them, listen to them, and be encouraged by them because we can all see that especially out of the West, we don't really see that many African stories coming out, African entrepreneurial stories. So I said, let me be able to highlight some of the people that look like us, like sound like us, talk like us, and then inspire people so that, you know what, you don't have to go the negative route. You can go the way this positive role model goes. So, Kola, just thanks again for your stories and your inspirational words of wisdom, and we wish you continued success throughout your Dorio adventure, and we look forward to talking to you sometime in the future. I do as well. Right. Thank you. Don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life. Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources, and we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.